This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land, and this is The Full Story. We live in an era where there's strategic competition and increased tension in our region, and where China has taken a more aggressive posture. The Albanese government is bringing Australia closer to the United States while stabilising a difficult relationship with China in order to try and boost our country's influence on the world stage. I've said many times that we face the most challenging strategic circumstances of the post-war period. At the same time, Defence Minister Richard Miles is overseeing one of the biggest revamps to Australia's defence spending in over 30 years, amid growing fears of a potential conflict with China in the Indo-Pacific region. Recently, Foreign Affairs and Defence correspondent Daniel Hurst spoke to the Defence Minister about whether Australia is prepared for a potential conflict and how it can prevent one from happening. Today... Australia's place in the power contest between the United States and China. It's Wednesday, the 8th of February. So, Dan, the Deputy Prime Minister and Defence Minister Richard Miles has been travelling all over the world over the last week. First, he travelled to France with Foreign Affairs Minister Penny Wong. Bonjour à toutes et à tous. Merci de votre intérêt Deputy pour Prime Minister, euh, Minister. l'Australie et les relations Thank you very much for, to all of you for your presence and your interest in the relationship between France and Australia. I would like to say that together with the Minister... Australia and France's relationship has been rocky since the Morrison government abandoned a submarine contract between the two countries. So what came out of this trip? Well, thank you. Can I uh, just start by saying how delighted that Penny and I both are uh, of being here in Paris? In some senses, the most important thing of this trip is that it actually happened. Uh, It was designed to partly repair the rift between the two countries, which, as we know, was pretty public and pretty explosive when Emmanuel Macron, the French president, accused then-PM Scott Morrison of lying and Australia of betraying France. So Miles and the Foreign Affairs Minister Penny Wong met their counterparts Sebastien Lecornu and Catherine Colonna for what is known as a 2 plus 2 meeting. And this is the first one in that format since the 2021 diplomatic rupture that was sparked by AUKUS. And in that sense, France uh, is really in the very top tier of relationships that Australia has with any country in the world. And that's been absolutely reaffirmed uh, in the meeting that we have had today. And AUKUS was definitely the elephant in the room. There was a lot of talk about restoring trust, a relationship based on trust. And at the press conference after the talks last Monday in Paris, the key repeated words were warmth and friendship between the two countries. I think the personal warmth between the four of us really characterises the return of warmth to the bilateral relationship between Australia. But at the end of it all, the main headline really was a deal where Australia and France agreed to jointly manufacture and supply thousands of artillery shells to the Ukrainian army. To make sure that Ukraine is able to stay in this conflict and be able to see it concluded on its own terms. It is a multi-million dollar project. The first shipment is meant to be sent to Ukraine in the next couple of months. 
but the deal is worth only several million Australian dollars. Uh, you might remember the French submarine deal was going to be worth $90 billion all up, but there was more to the trip than that. They also agreed to step up defence cooperation more generally, including in the Pacific and Indian Oceans. So watch this space. Merci beaucoup. Merci. Defence Minister Richard Miles and Foreign Minister Penny Wong have met their British counterparts while on a two-day tour of the UK. After the trip to France, Miles and Wong went on to visit the UK. It has reinforced what is a very long-standing, very intimate bilateral relationship which is embedded in... And then the Defence Minister headed to the US. Australia's Defence Minister Richard Miles is here in Washington. Well, we're very ecstatic to have you here and I look forward to a great discussion. Thank you. So what's, what's going on with all of these trips? Yeah, well, the US and the UK are the two countries that we turn to instead of the French submarine deal. It's all part of the AUKUS partnership to buy nuclear-powered submarines with help from the Americans and the Brits. And when it was announced, there was very little detail about how it would actually work. They set an 18-month deadline to actually work that detail out. And now those negotiations are getting to crunch time. And we've seen in the last couple of months, a number of US politicians have started to sound the alarm over one potential idea that could be on the table to sell Australia a couple of the US submarines before we can actually start ramping up production here in South Australia. These American politicians are worried that the US is already struggling to build the submarines it needs for itself and that helping out Australia in the coming decade could weaken its own national security. Now, all three governments have been pretty coy about what exactly they have in mind. They say, wait for the announcements next month. But for what it's worth, the Australian government believes this AUKUS project will only work if production in all three countries, Australia, the US and the UK, expands. And there's even talk now that the three countries are looking at jointly designing a whole new model of nuclear-powered submarine for all three countries to move to. Now, that sounds incredibly risky and it sounds like something that would take much longer to pull off. So it's safe to say these trips were really important for nutting out those finer details of AUKUS and getting ready for that big announcement next month. So Dan, managing the AUKUS pact and patching up Australia's relationship with France, these are just some of Labor's diplomatic priorities. It's now been eight months since the Albanese government came into office. How do you think it sees Australia's place in the world? I think it's quite similar, really, to what the coalition had, but it's the difference is the tactics or how they go about executing Australia's uh, interests. So since coming to office, Richard Miles has said a few times that this is among the most challenging strategic times for Australia, at least since the Second World War. Let me just check this is working. Just get slightly closer. That's one. Yep, Richard Miles, Deputy Prime Minister. And I sat down with the Deputy PM and Defence Minister before he went overseas. We had a wide-ranging interview, which tells us a bit about the importance of the recent trips he's made, as well as how he thinks Australia needs to defend itself in the future. When we spoke, he was pretty upfront with me about the sheer uncertainty for Australia's security in the region. Thanks very much for speaking to The Guardian, Deputy Prime Minister. Um, you've said multiple times since you've come to office that this is among the most challenging strategic times at least since the Second World War. Can you sort of explain what you mean by that and what's the most concerning trend line or development? Uh, 
Well, I think the answer to that is that the what we see around us and the way forward is not obvious and it is deeply impactful to Australia. So we are watching uh, great power contest within the world but within our region. Uh, we're probably more relevant or central to that contest than we have ever been in respect of any great power contest previously. And when he says power contest, he's referring to the tensions between our top security ally, the US, and an increasingly powerful China. It's only going to become more powerful in the decades ahead. So where does the relationship between the US and China stand at the moment? The world's two most powerful countries are at loggerheads over numerous issues, big and small. But those tensions were inflamed over the past week when a Chinese spy balloon was discovered in US airspace. The Chinese government insisted it was a weather device that accidentally went astray, but it apologised. And after this discovery, Antony Blinken, the US Secretary of State, decided to postpone an ice-breaking weekend visit to Beijing. And while the spy balloon might just be a, an incident that comes and goes, there are concerns that there are quite a few potential flashpoints, uh, things that could spark uh, miscalculation or even a military conflict in our region in the decades ahead. And that spark could be over Taiwan because the Chinese government has repeatedly said reunification with Taiwan is a core part of its goal of national rejuvenation by 2049, and it has not ruled out the use of force. Uh, even though the US... Uh, has a position officially of strategic ambiguity. It doesn't say whether it would come to Taiwan's aid in a military conflict. Joe Biden, the president, has actually said multiple times that the US would, in fact, defend Taiwan, uh, and that hasn't pleased China at all. And another potential spark could be in the South China Sea, where China and a number of other countries, such as Vietnam and the Philippines, have competing claims. And what did the defence minister tell you about what Australia's role is in preventing conflicts like these, for example, in the South China Sea? Well, Mull's pretty much stuck to the previous government's position. It's been in place for quite some years, including under Labor. It's bipartisan. We've had a very significant presence in the, the, the South China Sea for decades, and we'll continue to assert the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea in that body of water as we do around the world. Now, it's worth pointing out Australia doesn't actually have any of its own territorial claims in the South China Sea, and the Chinese government has essentially accused Australia and the US of stirring up trouble there. There is a, a range of overlapping competing claims between China and other regional countries such as Indonesia, the Philippines and Vietnam. China has argued that countries like the US and Australia should pretty much butt out of the South China Sea because they don't have any of their own claims there. Now, there are some people here in Australia as well who think that the Australian Defence Force should focus on defending Australian territory rather than be dragged further afield. But when I asked Richard Miles about this, he said that it's too simple to just focus on Australian territory. What happens in the South China Sea matters to Australia. And he said that it might be too late if we wait until someone actually steps onto Australian territory. I mean, the way to think about this is to understand that we're an, an island trading nation. So, yeah, obviously we need to be protecting uh, the continent, um, but a lot can happen to us before anyone seeks to place a foot on our continent. And that's why we talk about it in terms of our interests. I mean, our interests are deeply tied in our trading connection with the world, and that therefore means the sea lanes through which our trade traverses. What he's really saying there is that Australia has an interest in stability being maintained and he, like previous governments, have placed emphasis on deterring China from engaging in something that would disrupt that stability. 
Hmm. Right. I mean, last week, Foreign Minister Penny Wong warned the Indo-Pacific region is becoming more dangerous and volatile while she was on a trip to London. We must always remember that if conflict were to break out in the Indo-Pacific, it would be catastrophic for humanity. And she reiterated that stability in the Indo-Pacific had worldwide consequences. So Australia sees our investment in our future defence capabilities as essential for deterring conflict and maintaining a strategic balance in the Indo-Pacific. A balance where regional peace prevails and the sovereignty of all nations, large and small, is preserved. What does that tell us about how worried Australia is about a potential war in the Pacific? I mean, the language from the foreign minister in a public setting there seems pretty strong. Yeah, there's no question. It's very strong language. But she's been using these really strong warnings in recent times to urge all leaders of all countries, that includes the US and China, to do everything possible to prevent this outbreak of war. And she had a nuanced message in the same speech in London that while everyone is focused on, you know, the headline things like AUKUS and the security side, that's only one part of Australia's strategy. She's made clear that the new Australian government is going to pursue diplomacy and economic openness at the same time. Mm. Well, it's it's tricky for Australia because, Dan, it seems like Australia's caught in the middle of these two superpowers. You know, we rely on the US for security and also on China as a trading partner. So let's start with China. How does the Albanese government plan to manage our relationship with China? Well, the Australian government says it's looking to have a productive relationship with China. China is our largest trading partner. We want to have a productive relationship with China. Um, and, so, and and we have, as a, you know, I mean, we are deeply economically tied to, to China. And so how this plays forward is, is not clear. At the height of diplomatic tensions between the two countries in 2020, the Chinese government actually blocked phone calls and meetings between Australian government ministers and their direct counterparts. And that happened after the Morrison government was quite early and vocal in pushing for an inquiry, an international inquiry into the origins of COVID. Uh, but there has been a significant thaw under the Albanese government. Now that, that takes both sides, really. It's something that Beijing has recalculated, as well as Australia. Uh, for example, late last year, Penny Wong visited her counterpart in China. Uh, it's the first trip to China by an Australian minister in three years, and she was focused on trying to stabilise the relationship. She doesn't use the word reset uh, because she thinks there'll be continuing differences. And on Monday, the Australian Trade Minister, Don Farrell, met virtually with his Chinese counterpart, Wang Wentao, uh, to push to remove tariffs and bans on a range of Australian products. And that was actually the first conversation between an Australian trade minister and a Chinese commerce minister in about three years. And there weren't any sort of breakthroughs, but Don Farrell said he has accepted an invitation to travel to Beijing to continue those talks in the very near future. So it sounds like there's a lot of progress being made in Australia's bid to stabilise its relationship with China and hopefully increase trade. But at the same time, we're also not backing down on criticising China on its human rights record so early in this kind of newly thawed relationship. Is that going to hinder us? There's no doubt the government is walking a fine line here because the Chinese government certainly would like Australia not to speak out on human rights. Labor promised it wouldn't change any of the substantive policy positions, but it did uh, say that it would change its tone towards China. It promised 
not to do the sort of Morrison government style chest beating on China. It was very attentive to um, the way that the debate is conducted and how that has a flow on effect to the 1.2 million strong Chinese Australian community. And they also promised to pursue dialogue. There's domestic pressure to, to, to not really be seen to retreat on anything. But of course, uh, that does make it more difficult to engage China on other big issues such as its military posture in the region. So Australia's relationship with the US, by comparison, is somewhat more seems somewhat more straightforward. It has, uh, after all, the US has an interest in supporting us to prevent a, chi- a, a conflict with China in the region. But what does China think about our alliance with the US? Well, yes, we are very close to the US and getting even closer. When Richard Miles and Penny Wong were in the US in December, there was an agreement for increased rotations of American air, land and sea forces in Australia. The US said this would be a force for stability in the region. Of course, China would prefer that that didn't happen. Uh, Penny Wong has backed Joe Biden's call for the US and China to sort of essentially sit down and agree on some broad limits to prevent their tensions from spiralling out of control. They talk about this as guardrails, so sort of like managing that competition more responsibly from both sides. Uh, But in terms of whether it puts the diplomatic thought at risk... Uh, In the first place, I don't think uh, AUKUS is a good idea. Uh, I don't think it's uh, uh, helpful, especially when you're targeting China as a potential threat or adversary. The Chinese ambassador, Xiao Qian, had a really interesting 90-minute long press conference in Canberra last month to mark the new year. And he did rail against AUKUS. He said it was unhelpful. You know, why should the US, UK and Australia join up to target China? He argued it was a waste of money uh, and that it wasn't actually in Australia's interest. There were no historical grievances between Australia and China. Uh, But AUKUS, whether you have AUKUS or not, it's for Australian government to make their own decisions. Probably the most interesting phrase he used was he mentioned that it is Australia's right to decide whether or not it pursues AUKUS. It's not going to solve any problem of Australia's security concerns. This is a long distance between China and Australia. We have no reason to treat each other like a, like a threat. Would it be- so the Chinese government has made it very clear and will continue to make it clear that it doesn't believe AUKUS is a helpful thing for the relationship. But there are a bunch of experts who believe that really Australia's big sort of defence policies are already calculated in, that this that this diplomatic engagement is happening even as Beijing understands that AUKUS is in the background. Thank you. I mean, so it sounds like China, the Chinese government may have just accepted the AUKUS alliance is a reality, but it hasn't stopped former prime ministers like Malcolm Turnbull and Paul Keating being critical of Australia's closest strategic alliance with the US. You know, they have both argued, I think, that we are risking our sovereignty in coming so close to the US um, on this front. So what happens if the US and Australia have different views on whether to enter a military conflict? Well, I asked Richard Miles about this and he dismissed the concerns. Well, sovereignty is obviously a really important issue. It's one we've been very mindful of um, throughout the process and the, the outcome of this process is one which, in my view, greatly enhances Australian sovereignty. And, and the fundamental reason for, the, for that is that the greater the capability Australia has to defend itself, the greater the sovereignty we have. Uh, and this is a very significant capability that we're looking at developing. Now, this is really interesting from Miles because Labor, when they were in opposition, 
called on the Morrison government to provide assurances Australia would still be free to make its own military decisions, uh, even if it became increasingly dependent technologically on the US. And the concerns really boil down to the fact we don't have a nuclear power industry. In Australia, we have the Lucas Heights reactor in Sydney, but that's focused on medicine, not (laughs) nuclear-powered submarines. Uh, So the technological know-how and the nuclear workforce to to build up this technology uh, isn't there at present. So how much will we be relying on the US for the technology and, uh, you know, sustaining it? Uh, Mulls seems to be arguing that a stronger Australian defence force, even relying on the US, can give Australia more space to make its own sovereign decisions across the board, you know, on matters of government policy, rather than be pressured by China and others. But there are still a whole lot of unanswered questions about exactly how the AUKUS process will work. And... We're at the moment waiting for Australia, the UK and the US to announce those details in March. And what we'll be looking for is a lot of information about exactly when the first submarines might be ready, who will be doing the construction, whether that has to start offshore before we're ready in South Australia to do that, and and those questions of sovereignty and who controls the technology. So we'll have to watch this space. Next the biggest shake-up to Australia's defence spending in 30 years. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here with a quick note about The Guardian. As you're probably aware, Guardian Australia's journalism is editorially independent, meaning we set our own agenda. We don't have a billionaire owner, nor do we answer to shareholders, so we're free from commercial bias. And this independence matters because it means we're able to challenge the powerful and hold them to account. Unlike many news organisations, we have not put up a paywall. We chose a model that means our reporting is open to everyone and funded by our readers who can afford to pay. Every contribution, whether big or small, counts. If you're able to contribute and have a minute, head to theguardian.com forward slash support full story. We've also linked to this on the full story page. Thanks. So, Dan, the Albanese government announced last year that it was commissioning a review into the Defence Force. Why is this happening now? Uh, Short answer is it was an election promise to do this. Um, It's being led by the former Defence Force Chief Sir Angus Houston and the former Labor Defence Minister Stephen Smith, uh, no strangers to the defence world here in Australia. Um, It's happening now because uh, the Labor Party believes that the Morrison government was strong on identifying the threats in the region, the changing security needs, but didn't really act on on that with urgency. And so this is really geared towards, right, these are the challenges we face. What sort of defence force do we need? What priorities do we need to spend money on? It's really trying to work out uh, where can the Australian government best spend scarce resources uh, to respond to those security threats. Mm. What do we know so far about what will change about our defence spending based on this review? We do know that defence spending will continue to increase overall. This was a Labor election promise, but uh, Richard Miles has left space for the government to scale back or adjust some programs in order to fund newer, bigger priorities. What we need to be thinking about is how we project, and it flows a little from what I've just said, Um, we need to be thinking in terms of how we hold 
um, any potential adversary at risk at greater distance from our shores. And that therefore means um, thinking about projection. And we need to think about that through uh, the context of the full spectrum of proportionate response. So we know that the nuclear-powered submarines are going to be extremely expensive, probably more than $100 billion. Uh, and that's that's over decades, but it's a, it's a huge sum. And there's other... Uh, expected priorities such as longer range missiles, potentially fighter jets, cyber security is an issue that they want to spend more on. So these are all areas that could involve some shifting of money from elsewhere. And and most of the speculation has been about the Army's plan to buy 450 infantry fighting vehicles, basically vehicles that are used to fight a land war, uh, scrapping the project worth up to $27 billion, but the army would not be impressed with such a decision because it argues it needs a replacement for uh, vehicles that were first used during the Vietnam War. And in this shake-up on defence spending, is there anything that Labor could focus on that sets it apart from the coalition? Well, the big one is the climate crisis. The Albanese government you know, unequivocally, explicitly accepts that climate change is a security threat, something that the Morrison government struggled to say out loud. <laughs> so shortly after the Albanese government was elected, it commissioned a threat assessment of what climate change will do in a security sense. And Richard Miles says some of this work will be factored into the Defence Strategic Review. That goes from security issues around scarcity of resources, which give rise to great attention, but it's also you know, humanitarian and disaster response, um, which which the Defence Force is uh, inevitably a part of uh, providing that, that response. Uh, and we're seeing more climate-based disasters, uh, both, both in Australia and, and in our region. So the Albanese government is doing a lot of work in terms of both diplomacy and defence deals in its first year in office. What, what do you see as the biggest challenges for Labor on both these fronts in the coming months? Well, the big tests are going to be, of course, when the AUKUS plans are released in March and also the bigger sort of defence um, strategic review, how it's viewed across the region, and not necessarily just by China, but by Indonesia and Malaysia, countries that have previously expressed concerns about the nuclear-powered submarines and about a regional arms race. So there'll have to be a lot of diplomacy behind the scenes to sort of encourage understanding of exactly what Australia is and isn't doing there. And there'll be a lot of tests this year about the relationship with China. We've seen a lot of progress last year in terms of just talking, but um, there's going to be intensifying pressure on the Australian government to just show that there actually is some meaningful progress. And the most obvious area for that is whether Beijing removes any of those tariffs and trade actions against Australian exporters. If, if that doesn't happen, and if Don Farrell doesn't get any sort of breakthrough in Beijing, then I think there might start to be a bit more coalition pressure on the government about what it has to show for this, uh, this renewed diplomacy with China. That's it for today. You can read more of Daniel Hurst's reporting on foreign affairs and defence at theguardian.com, including his recent article called Australian and Chinese Trade Ministers Meet for the First Time in Three Years. It provides a really good update on how the two countries' relationship is continuing to thaw amid all these diplomatic tensions we've been talking about today. We'll post a link to that article and to Dan's recent interview with Defence Minister Richard Miles on the Full Story website. This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Joe Koning, who also did the sound design and mixing, and myself. Full Stories theme music is by Joe Koning. 
The executive producer for this episode was Laura Murphy-Oates. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you next time. <laughs>